this could almost be enough for me. Almost. <laughs> There's other stuff I like to do too. I really noticed myself today dipping in and out of like extreme tenderness. Like I've, I've sort of wept a few times today. Um, and not those kind of tears that are confused um, or needing something, but just the, the tears of depth, of touching into things that feel real. And then I've also noticed myself feeling really silly and happy and leapy today, you know. Um, so not unlike maybe experiences that you all have been having, watching yourselves feel the uncomfortable and then maybe notice the joyful and the beautiful. Um, I also, I think we could probably speak for all of us, you know. Part of what I'm experiencing right now, and I'm just going to be completely and totally transparent, is that because I am living in the world of non-silence and media and um, internet, and you know, I'm seeing some things right now that are really fucking horrible, and it's nothing. It's nothing new. You know, it's just new today. <laughs> and so a big, a big part of me is just super sad right now. And when I look at the teachings over and over again, I get reminded that this, of course, of course, this is the first noble truth this is the first noble truth that the Buddha was pointing to. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. You know, sometimes I forget. I want it to be different. And there's an innocence in me. Um, I loved what Vinny was pointing to in the metta. You know, sort of like that, giving love to the innocent in you. There's that innocence in me that forgets the first noble truth. And I sort, of, I sort of joke sometimes that at times I feel like an airline stewardess. You know, it's like when they're telling you the most important part of your flight, like how you will survive if the plane goes down, we all check out. We're like, magazine, earbuds, you know, it's like suddenly we're not, we're not paying attention when they're telling us like where the oxygen is. <laughs> they're telling us where the flotation device is. Like this is how you will live if the plane lands in a nice, friendly way, I guess. Like, you know, I often wonder, like, how often those are needed. But I think it's really funny that we, that's when we check out. And sometimes when I'm talking about the Dharma or remembering the Dharma, I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody told me this. Like, why am I surprised? Why didn't I know? How did I forget? Why wasn't I paying attention? So when I look at the first noble truth and how I, um, 
think I told my groups today that I like to play games with the Dharma and I like to play games with my practice. So how I like to break the first noble truth down is things that I can't control. Because what's actually being pointed towards to me here and what the Buddha is saying is, hey, wake up. This is the truth of existence. This is the truth of being born into this human body. And if you can actually get that, you don't have to suffer. Like, how cool is that? Right? If I can get that, I don't have to suffer. But I don't get it. And so I want to, I'm going to make this a crowd participation activity. Just sort of throwing out there, um, you know, what are some of the things you think that you cannot control? Anybody can just... The weather. Who said that? Yeah. I wonder about that sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that 2,600 years ago, that might have been on the list of what the Buddha was talking about. And... You know, here we are looking at climate change. So yes, and so that'll be that'll be that'll be one yes and. We'll have three categories actually. Yes. Death. That would be not even to some degree. Like death is going to happen. Did someone say taxes? Oh, traffic. <laughs> um, yes, traffic. Cannot control it. What else? Illnesses. Illnesses. Again, like, yes, 2,600 years ago, that was on the list. Old age, sickness, and death. You know, some biologists, chemists, um, you're a doctor, aren't you? Yeah. Some illnesses now are being attributed to the environment, that weather <laughs> that we can't control. Um, so yes, some of that. What else? Other people. Other people, totally. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, and so what did I write about other people? How they feel about us, right? What they do. What they believe in. So I think this is a really big one right now, like if we're looking at politics. None of us are looking at that, though, while on retreat. Um, you know, if we're looking, yeah, other people. I saw a hand up. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, other people. Everyone else got it under control? <laughs> awesome. You want to come sit up here? <laughs> yes. My ancestry. You're awesome. That's right. Heredity. Not under our control. So like these natural laws, right? There are these natural laws that no matter what we do, cannot change. So stuff like rhythm, gestation, um, sound, light, Oh, this is a big one. I'm not going to do that one. I'll do this one. Okay, so when I open my hand, what's going to happen? 
gravity. Like, no matter what, like, I'm going to meditate real good. I'm going to follow the precepts. I'm going to have a right livelihood. I'm going to... And when I open my hand, still going to fall. That's a natural law. So we can just actually go, oh, there are things that happen in this life that I don't need to... Noah talked about this last night. Like, thinking about it is actually sort of a waste of my time. Or thinking that I can control it. Thinking that I have some jurisdiction over certain natural laws. But how often do we spend time trying to control? I mean, if we think about old age, right? That one, gonna happen. Not changing that. How much time do we spend? How many billions of dollars, billions of dollars are spent on old age? not wanting it to happen. And that doesn't mean that we don't treat our bodies well and that we don't eat right and exercise and do certain things. But the billions of dollars that are being spent aren't, you know, are, are sort of the, um, whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. Surgeries and Botoxes and creams and all of those ways. The eternal life formulas. So I guess what I'm pointing to is, you know, what have you been sitting here thinking about that you can think you can change? My guess is if I looked, I probably 80% of the people in here are trying to change other people. Like that's, I'm pretty sure that there are multiple conversations in here where you're trying to convince somebody of something, right? Oftentimes on retreat, I'm like, this is not a twofer, right? Like, I paid for this retreat. You are not invited. <laughs> Let me just do my thing all on my own. But we, we try to rewrite the story all the time about things that we actually, when I was sitting last night listening to um, Noah's talk, that, uh, that thing that's in our rearview mirror, you know, things in this mirror are larger than they appear or something like that. And we're looking at what we've already, where we've already been. We've already done that. Like, we've been there. But they're larger than they appear. I think that's what it says. And I just thought that was like, yeah, that's actually, we're constantly looking at the memory, what, what happened in such a big way. It looms over us in such a fantastic way. And so we carry that all in here onto our cushions. And we spend so much time with it. The things that we cannot control, the past, and our minds can be incredibly friendly, especially if maybe we have remorse or some kind of forgiveness, you know, self-forgiveness that we're working out. Our minds can be incredibly friendly trying to help us work those things out. I think it's actually quite a beautiful system. But there's not a whole lot we can do. And then the other list, which is in our jurisdiction, and I think we can spend a lot more time on in here, are what are the things that we can control? What can I control? 
So if we were looking at um, what can't I control as the first noble truth, what can I control? Yes. My actions? Yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. My beliefs? Beliefs. My attitude? Yeah. Pardon? The way we respond. Thank you. Intention. Pardon? Intention. Intention. Yep. Priorities. Yep. So these are interesting, right? Because we didn't mention anything external just now. And again, when I'm looking at this... um, I look at it through the lens of the uh, fourth noble truth, which is also called the Eightfold Path. And the biggest things are our actions, our thoughts, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit because not totally, not all the way, and our speech. Those are three really big ones that are in our jurisdiction, totally in our jurisdiction. And yet, if, I, if we were to sort of have a scale, a daily scale, and we were to put little pebbles, you know, on the scale about what we are spending more time doing or thinking about, my guess is, and I, I, maybe not for everybody, that we spend a lot of time in the, the realm of what can't I control. Because it's so much easier to blame. (laughs) It's so much easier. And I'm really feeling the need right now, because of how I started this talk, to not discount the fact that a lot of what we can't control, like these other people um, being a big one, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to leave you hanging with... uh, how as practitioners who are working on a kind heart for ourselves and others aren't going to pay attention to some of what is going on in the world of, or the realm of the things that we feel like we cannot control. Did that make sense what I just said? I know what I said, but did that make sense what I said? <laughs> just want to make sure. Meaning, it do, the buck doesn't have to stop here on the cushion compassionate action, wise action, certainly necessary and important. But right here, for the purposes of the retreat, I really want to talk about how we can cultivate the kind of heart and mind that allows us to be able to show up in a wise, steady, skillful manner. Right? And so it's, a, it's sort of a multi-pronged effort And a lot of you that are activists out there know that um, just going headstrong into it can be a big old burnout, right? And so the nourish, the self-nourishment, the self-care, these these areas that we can control need to constantly be paid attention to also, which is why I think 
Buddhists and practitioners of mindfulness have a really good chance at creating real change. Personally. So the what can I controls, and I want to keep it to, since we aren't right now in the realm of speech or in the realm of livelihood, which is one of the path factors, um, we're a bit in the realm of action, but maybe not so much here on retreat. But we are in the realm of, of the mind and this path factor around mindfulness. In the, in the path factor of right view, um, which is the first path factor, which is where we're really paying attention to cause and effect, which again is one of those natural laws. And so some of us talked about this in the group today where um, I want to talk about cause and effect a little bit, which is in our jurisdiction, our domain, what we can control as far as the mind goes. So someone brought up, uh, I don't know if you said thoughts or, or mind, but is it you? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> somebody did. Um, so the mind or thoughts are considered one of the six senses. Instead of just five senses in Buddhism, we also we include the mind. Because as you've seen here, that regardless of how hard you try, thoughts come in, right? They come in no matter what. They plop themselves in there, and then what? So just like any other contact point, so what we're looking at, and Noah again pointed this out last night, we're looking at the idea that we have these sense doors. We have sight, we have sound, we have taste, we have touch, we have smell. We have thought, thinking, mind. For those of us, I'm not one of them, whose sight works well, I'm not one of them. (laughs) You know, when, when something hits the lens of our eye, seeing happens. Whether it's clear or not is another story. The same true for the ears. If hearing is happening, We don't need to make, we don't need to go, okay, I'm going to hear now, right? Hearing happens, seeing happens, tasting happens. We don't need to think about it. We don't need to push a button. We don't need to make it happen. So same true with with thoughts. Thoughts drop in, they happen. Then this is where we tip over into our, our domain, our jurisdiction, we worked with, who, were, who actually worked with Vedna today? Like, was that something that turned people on in here as, as something to play with, to work with? You, know, you guys don't listen to the teacher, huh? <laughs> this is a group of rebels. Oh, I'm sorry, feeling tone. <laughs> we talked about that in our group, too. Who worked with feeling tone today? <laughs> no, thank you, because somebody brought that up in the group today. I was using the word Vedana and feeling tone. (laughs) They do listen to teacher. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, you know, I would love to hear everybody's exploration with that because Vedana is actually my favorite. 
But it's interesting because how Vedana works is, right, you have this, this sense door, whether it's the mind or the eyes, or I don't want to go through all of them again. You have a sense door, and there's an object. Any object. The object can be an idea. The object can be a tree. The object can be food. The object can be a memory. Right? Any, anything. Let's put anything. The object can be an emotion. So we have the sense door, and we have an object. And they, they meet. They collide. And there's contact. We call that contact. Immediately upon contact, this feeling tone arises. How many of you were able to stop at feeling tone? It, did you play with that a little bit? Kind of. Yeah, maybe for some things. Maybe for some things that aren't that interesting, we can stop at feeling tone. Right? Things that are a little more interesting, we move into what we call clinging and then craving. So even if we like it just a little bit, just a little bit, we lean. We find our bodies leaning in that direction. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, t- it's totally okay to do that. It's our amoebic um, habit, right? It's our survival habit. There's a teacher, and I, I shared this with one of my groups. Um, she's a Burmese teacher. Her name is Ajahn Neb, and she says that every single one of our movements, the only thing, the only time that we do anything is a movement out of discomfort. Everything that we do is a movement out of discomfort. I think that's so interesting because even, you know, like even if I were to point to people here in this room, you know, um, when we do a little scratch, it's because there's a little just tiny, tiny, maybe it's just a discomfort. You're scratching your arm. You probably didn't even know you were doing it. You're moving your foot. You probably don't even know why. But what the, the, you know, the thinking is we do that every slight movement. Like pay attention right now if you move and when you do. Why are you doing it? (laughs) Everyone's going to be so still now. (laughs) So if we have this contact point, and if we like it, we move towards it. And if we don't like it, we move away from it. Like I said again, supernatural. Supernatural. But when it when it starts to cause us grief, dismay, worry, we'll call it suffering because that's a word we use around here. You know, whenever it starts leaning into this area of a lot of dis-ease and uncomfort, we have to ask the question about why we're leaning there. And, I, and I, I like to think about how loyal we can often be to our suffering. Do you have a story that you tell? Like a story about your life, a story about relationships, a story about your family, a story about the whys and hows of why it doesn't work for you. And we get very beholden to that story. And it actually starts to work for us, right? Like it gives us a really nice excuse. 
It can maybe even give us an excuse to maybe be mean to somebody because we've had a bad day. So I've had a bad day, so that gives me a good excuse or reason why to take it out on somebody else. So what I'm thinking about, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like talk, move in the realm of the subtle. Um, Because once we start to have, we've had this, we've had this contact, we have this feeling, we move in a direction, and that direction actually becomes, so let's say, let's say we move in the direction of, um, Sorry, people, I'm having a hard time not thinking about what's going on out there, and I'm trying to just, like, come up with a soft, gentle idea. Um, Move in the direction of something simple, like wanting a bowl of ice cream. Super simple. Let's keep it simple. And so when our mind is feeling really normal and, and fine, a bowl of ice cream is a pretty harmless, simple thing to have, right? Bowl of ice cream, not a big deal. When we're working with a mind that is feeling agitated, lonely, angry, upset, that same bowl of ice cream that we go to has a different meaning to it, right? The meaning becomes something that we're going to to try to pull us out of a state. So something that was really innocent and just tasty becomes that object upon contact becomes something else. And when we're in that state of agitation, eating that bowl of ice cream, then what happens? Then there's some sort of judgment that arises. I'm a bad person because I'm using food or I'm using whatever we use Maybe it's sex, maybe it's drugs and alcohol, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's the internet. Whatever it is we use, because we had a negative, we had a, an experience that was unpleasant, we want to get away from it, so we reach towards something that we're hoping will bring us some kind of joy, will pull us out. The Buddha called this the untrained earthling. The untrained earthling, all the untrained earthling knows how to do is reach for pleasant when unpleasant is arising. So then we get to to judge ourselves. This we would call the second arrow. So we have an experience that might be painful, and Noah again talked about this last night, And what the more trained mind would do is just noticing the painful. But then what we do is we tip over into the judgment and the mind that pierces itself a second time. So it's not only I'm eating ice cream and my body feels bad for that. It's then I'm a bad person. I'm judging my mind. I've done this again. I have a problem. I'm never going to be well. My self-esteem sucks. Right? And then we're led down this path which we would call becoming. So when we have a thought 
and we allow ourselves to feed that thought some more. Who's had thoughts this today, right? Well, that we know. You've had a thought. But then we, it's really interesting. Like when we allow ourselves to continue to feed it, the next moment of our li- whole life <laughs> becomes that thing we decided to feed. So the metaphor was ice cream. But we are feeding our very next existence. We are feeding our very next way of being. And again, Noah talked about this last night. In some schools of Buddhism, that's called a, re- a rebirth. You know, when we talk about rebirth, they're talking about a whole other life cycle on this planet. And sometimes we're just talking about how one mind state can lead us into the next mind state, and that's who we become then. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So if I keep feeding this thought, this thought creates me in the next moment. And then it creates me in the next moment. And then if I keep feeding it, it's going to feed me tomorrow. And then suddenly I have become and I am reborn into that way of thinking. And I find that so incredibly powerful. Because when we look at, you know, and and we didn't make this stuff up. Like, (laughs) we talk about this stuff up here, um, and it's just our version or our way of sharing something that was taught by, you know, this person that we're calling the Awakened One, the Buddha. And when we sit here and we're really deeply paying attention to this process of the mind, it's so fascinating. So what's being said, what is under my control, what can I control? Pay attention every time you have a mind moment to what you do with it and to it and how you hold it and what you decide your next mind moment's going to be. I remember when I first like, figured that out, I felt so free. I actually, I was here. I was on this retreat, and I had a, a one-on-one meeting with a teacher, and I was really obsessing over something like, in a big way. And I, I was here for three weeks, and it was the beginning, and I was like, I'm fucked because I can't let this go. And it was just going to be bad news for me. And I went in that meeting, and she said, well, just stop. I went, whoa, that was revolutionary. You know, I thought I was, I thought it was out of my control. I thought I was captive. I thought I was a prisoner to that obsession. That obsession that held me so tightly. She said, just stop. I just stopped. Like literally, it happened. So every time I found myself going there, because that was my habit, my habit of mind, was to go there. We are redirecting. We are retraining our minds here. That's what we're doing. Like Very simply, we're just retraining our minds. We're retraining the phenomenon of our habits. Where did they come from? Our parents, our society, our culture, our teachers. Everybody we come into contact with 
affects us. And then we become these, these habit beings. We're just like habit beings. <laughs> it was so funny. Last night, whatever night we did the, the refuges, I'm going to apologize to all of you. We're going to take the refuges for real tonight because <laughs> who knew here that I totally fucked up on the refuges? <laughs> oh my God. I was so in my leg. Namu. I'm going to say it 82,000 times. <laughs> I forgot the refuges altogether. <laughs> so for those of you who didn't know, I'm glad. For those of you who did know, I'm sorry. But it was like, I was just caught in, I don't know what I was caught in. I don't even know what to say. But I wasn't like paying attention. So like, what's possible when we're not paying attention, when we're not being mindful, when we're not awake, when we're not, a lot of like, you know, even from that, that's harmless. But a lot of not harmless stuff can happen. You know, and then especially when we get into the realm of speech and action, which we don't need to really worry so much about here, you know, a lot, a lot can happen with one word, with one magical word, you know? A lot of damage and also a lot of love, a lot of care. So really focusing while we're here, you know, while we're here, paying attention and sort of like dorking out on the machinations of the mind, how it works. And I sort of feel like that's what Siddhartha Gautama was doing under the tree, was just going, like, I'm going to just really watch this shit. Okay, if I do this, this happens. If I don't do this, this doesn't happen. If I do, you know, and just like going, oh yeah, okay. A leads to B. This is, this is what's happening. It's just paying attention to the mind. Like, there's no magic in it. There's really no magic in it. So even if we weren't sitting here and this retreat center didn't exist and, you know, if somebody took the time, they would figure this out. Like, the same things, you would come to the same conclusions. Because they're natural laws. The law of cause and effect is a natural law. Just like gravity, just like heredity, just like time. Natural laws. So, you know, we were talking about this, um, and a part of why, you know, I think most of us came to Buddhism where, um, like, that bad news that Noah was talking about last night was actually kind of a relief. Like, I feel like it's kind of a relief to say, okay, I can't control that. Put it down, let it go. That's going to happen. Going to happen. Really, I'm, I'm going to like put a lot of effort and a lot of care and a lot of love and a lot of kindness into what I can control. And I'm going to let the people around me know. And I'm going to let myself know. And I'm going to do everything I can to let that part totally thrive and be well. You know, one of the the big things I was thinking about earlier were 
um, you know, we have these natural laws, and then how, you know, so we have these natural laws, and then so the what can't I control, what can I control, but then there's this whole other domain that I'm struggling with in the middle, which are societal laws and cultural laws, these things that actually aren't either. And I wrote a few of them down, and I'm happy to have some of you share, but, you know, I was just like, sometimes when I get up here, I forget, so I need to write things down. But, you know, when I think about the fact that slavery was legal, right? Slavery was legal. And there's all kinds of things that came with that that were also legal, like rape and killing and blah, 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 you know, like long list of things that were totally legal, a societal law. But we know, like in the precepts, not causing harm to another living being um, has, a, has a causal effect on us. It has, you know, there's a, a dissonance that has to happen within the human heart and mind when we're causing that kind of harm to another being. Societal law, you know, I don't want to get too heavy, that's heavy. But societal laws or cultural laws, like, um, you know, in, in the Mormon tradition, having multiple, multiple wives, totally legal, bigamy. But it's not necessarily legal. In our, in our American system, does that mean it's wrong? Does that mean it's right? That kid, remember, um, in Singapore who was caned for throwing gum on the sidewalk? In Singapore... Totally rational law. He was spanked with a cane six times, I think, in Singapore. But it was a big deal. Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. It might be be an age thing. (laughs) I don't know. It was a big deal. It was a big deal here. They almost weren't going to let him out of the country. He was an American 19-year-old. Anyway, you know, multiple things. There are girls all over the world, all over the planet, where it's actually illegal for them to go to school. They cannot get an education. Illegal. Like, not only is it illegal, but by death, right? They have to sneak to go to school or else they might. So I think of these things, and they're, I mean, I could, I could rattle off a bunch, but um, I probably don't need to. New Orleans, you can drive with an open container. <laughs> like, how unsafe does that feel? <laughs> you know? So anyway, the... Um, <laughs> You know, there are these man-made, cultural-made, societal laws that we have to sort of twist and contort ourselves into. And then we as practitioners, you know, how to hold that. For me, it's quite an interplay that I'm, you know, I'm working with today. It's quite an interplay. Because it makes me, some of these things make me really, really upset. You know, they make, um, yeah, I'm a justice, like I'm big into justice. <laughs> and so when I feel like things are happening to other human bodies unjustly, and yet we can't do anything about it because it's written in the law books. And so how do, you know, how do we work with that? And that's where we come back to the domain of the mind again. The domain of the mind 
our relationship to these things, how we um, decide then to act and move forward. And maybe it's not the time. Sometimes it's not the time to act and move forward. A lot of times first we need to engage with our internal world around these things, which I think is really important, which I, I feel like we have a leg up. And I kind of said that before. I feel like if Buddhists united and got a little more political, it would be a good thing. You know, so here we sit um, in this stew and brew of all these beautiful, you know, and I look at all the faces around in this room, the amazing lineages here, you know? Like there's so many more people in this room than just you. (laughs) There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this room. Those that have sat here, those that have raised you, you know, we, don't, we never come here alone. And so when we look at the work that we're doing, like we don't have to feel like we're doing it alone either. And we're not only doing it for ourselves. You know, sometimes the burden of the insular solar being can just feel so heavy. And, for, and, and sometimes, like I said, sometimes that's necessary and okay, and we have our own healing to do, no doubt. And then also, you know, this work around this kind awareness, like how that can radiate out, how our wellness and what we're practicing here can begin to radiate out in such meaningful and impactful ways. So I sort of feel like I'm done talking. Again, I will leave this talk feeling tender. Feeling hopeful. I love this mindfulness movement, really. Even though I'm a hardcore Buddhist, like I'm really happy that people are waking up to their internal worlds. Let's sit for a couple minutes.
in the Metta Sutta, it points to the possibility of all beings being free from suffering, all beings being liberated above and below, from side to side, all colors, all genders, the winged ones, the four-legged ones, the two-legged ones, the crawlers, the swimmers. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be at ease. Enjoy the night sky for this walking period. And we'll be back in here at 9. And I'm going to do the refuges. (laughs) We will count the real refuges.